Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. As promised, we're picking up right where we left off with heaven deniers. If you thought that maybe they had some good points, as I did, this is where you uh, might want to take a closer look. If you began to suspect that something was a little off, this is where your suspicions pay off. This is what it looks like when progressive Christianity goes off the deep end. But, yeah. But then they'll also say, but you can't be perfect enough to go to heaven anyway. Yeah, they'll say contradicts like, okay, like that. Okay, so God set up a game that we are is impossible to win, but then he's going to punish us for not winning the game. Right. It's It just seems like such a horrible scenario. And a little we, psychopathic, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, you'll realize that, I mean, it, it takes a lot to really get into this state of mind, but just in the infinite expanse of the universe, right? It just makes so much sense when you really get it, that reality would be perfection, you know? And it's yeah. just, we don't realize, or most people do not realize what it takes to have perfection, right? So let's talk about, you know, the common atheist would make the argument that, okay, a God would not exist or a God, there's no way a God can exist because a God would not cause all this suffering. And a God that is all good and all powerful would not create all this suffering, right? So what would your argument, I mean, I already know what it is, but yeah, what would your argument be back at them? Um, well, I wouldn't, you know, I never argue with people who want to talk about religion and stuff because it's just such a losing battle, even with an atheist, you know, it's right. Like you've got your beliefs and that's cool, bro. But yeah, let's say someone who's like, who thinks that way, but is trying to learn, you know? They're, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I always like to use the dream analogy because it really helps to put stuff in context. But <clears throat> basically the idea, there, there can't be a God that's separate from its creation. Because if there is, then all of a sudden the atheist would be right. Oh, why would a God create the world and then torture it and cause all this suffering? Like what a, what a megalomaniacal being that must be. So yeah, if that was true, then you're right. But that's not what God is. That's not who God is. If, if God is one and there's only one being in the universe, that means God is experiencing everything that God is putting itself through. Okay. Let's just uh, have a little pause right there. For this to work in their mind, there can only be one being in the entire universe. By the way, that being is not you. It's, it's also not me. It's not them. It's God. It's all God. This is just a remix of pandeism. There's only one one person here, right? So all of a sudden it becomes more like a dream where God chose to veil itself from the knowledge of what it is to have an experience of otherness because otherness now gives it a reference point or a mirror to have contrast to understand what it is like. Okay. God, I've heard this uh, theory before. Stop me if you've heard it before too. 
Actually, don't 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 hit the stop button. <laughs> that, that was a that was a bad choice of words. Um, this is uh, something that's relatively common in some circles, and this is where some progressive Christianity ends up. Uh, a lot of it ends up here because. It's one of the solutions to the problem of why is there suffering in the universe. Well, there's not really suffering in the universe. It's just God trying to figure out who he is. And the only way he can know who he is is to have some sense of otherness. But since he's the only one in the universe, he's got to uh, create other personalities that to him feel like they're not him and then run them through various aspects of life so that he can understand what it's like and he can see that and realize that he's not that. It, it just gets really, really silly. Uh, and, and it starts with the idea of God veiled the knowledge of who he is from himself. Is he such a horrible being that he can't even look at himself in the mirror anymore? He's just so bored with who he is. He doesn't like what he sees when he wakes up to shave every morning. He's got to forget who he is so that he can go through an adventure and figure himself out again. Now, another way to look at this is God is so perfect and yet he is lacking this sense of otherness. He needs to understand otherness, which sounds like God has a need. He is incomplete, and he must go through this great adventure so that he can get the thing he's missing. I mean, pick your poison. It's heresy either way. Because if you're the only being around, who's going to explain to you what you're like? You've got to do the job. So God sets up in this brilliant way, I mean, brilliant is a poor term for it, obviously, indescribably complex, genius, intelligent way of this universe of seeming differences and separation that's actually all one. And it's this sort of game God plays to live in this world as a seeming other to slowly remember and learn that all of this is one. And the, the mechanism by which God goes in that direction to remember itself or realize itself is suffering. Suffering is sort of like the built-in alarm system in the universe for, hey, your perception of reality is distorted. So suffering compels us to turn away from that perception and try a new one out. And if that one hurts, we turn away from that one. And so God sets up almost like bumpers on a bowling lane. To where it can't actually miss the target. It might bounce back and forth a, a million times before it gets there, but it is going to hit the pins at the end of the day. And we know we are seeing the universe or reality correctly when we have peace and when we see it through love. Love is really just correct perception because it's the awareness of oneness and oneness is the nature of reality. I love it, dude. And also, I mean, aren't you grateful for all the suffering that you've been through? I mean, because it's- 100%. It's part of the game, right? Okay, that's just bullshit. I mean, it really is. It, and honestly, I've, I've heard people say this sort of thing before. Oh, it made me so much stronger. I'm so grateful for the suffering. I, let me tell you, I will never be grateful for being hit by a van. 
I will never be grateful for being born legally blind. I will never be grateful for any of the many and sundry things that are wrong with me and for the bad and early death that awaits me. I'm never going to be grateful for any of that. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't look at your worst day and say, thank you, Jesus. What kind of nut job does that? I mean, there's yes. literally our minds. People haven't examined their minds and they're not aware of their minds enough to realize how they really work. Because there's no way that you could yeah. even comprehend what like up is without down. I like using the right. analogy like you can't know what left is without right. Like let's take away left. What is right? Well, you call it sideways because you could compare it to yeah. north, north and south. But then take away like north and south, right? Now it's just direction, right? It lost all those characteristics. There isn't, there wouldn't even be direction. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, because that, yeah, exactly. So it loses all its characteristics, right? When it doesn't have things to compare it to. Everything in the world is based on this comparison, right? So we could not comprehend what good was. We could not comprehend what bliss, peace, all these amazing emotions that we love, they literally would not exist if we didn't have the opposite polarity to compare it to. Okay, so God, who is the embodiment of love, could not understand love until he put himself through hate and suffering. Is that really where you want to go? Right. Yes, dude. And, you know, this is such an important point, too, I think, for people listening that suffering seems to be such like an end-all be-all and you know we we all suffer nobody escapes suffering in this life and people want to play you know victim comparison games well i've suffered worse than you so you can't say anything and regardless of who suffered the worst or whatever we all suffer and the only reason our suffering defeats us so much and and makes us so hopeless about life and and life is so cruel and all these ideas is because we haven't experienced liberation from it yet. When, when you don't know what the contrast to suffering is, then it's easy to just say, oh, what a cold, cruel universe this is. So what I often will recommend for people who are in you know, deep depression or whatever is accept as a truth that if this polarity exists, then the opposite must be as good as this is bad. And that's available, right? And that was a, that's a recognition I had to come to, to get out of my depression years ago. I had to refuse to believe that this is the nature of reality because that's how your ego wants you to interpret it. It goes, look, now you're seeing reality clearly and see it's dark and hopeless and cruel and evil. So just might as well end it, bro. What's the point? And from that reference frame, that makes sense. But I'm sure, you know, you've probably had, you know, whether it's psychedelics or some kind of different experience of like cosmic consciousness. I mean, I've had experiences of such debilitating bliss and ecstasy that as indescribably wonderful as it was, I wouldn't even want to live in that state all the time. I couldn't handle it. I'm sorry. What is cosmic consciousness? I'm sorry, uh, gentlemen, proceed. Like too much for the system to compute, right? Right. So it's like infinite, immeasurable joy and peace and love is available. And freedom starts with acknowledging that. Yeah, I agree. I've had these awakening experiences before where I, it, it was actually, it was this crazy awakening experience where I actually went through like, hor- like absolute hell. Right. I somehow it was actually through like shamanic breathing and I end up tricking myself. Obviously, this is an illusion, but I ended up tricking myself into believing that somehow 
I'd like had an aneurysm or something from this breathing and was actually dying. <laughs> but like, you know, a, a biological death, like, like, like that I was just this finite biological being and my consciousness was slowly getting like, like darker and darker and darker and darker. And as I was actually just about to disappear and everything that I had known was wrong. But of course that was all part of the, the illusion that I created, it was all part of the mind. Yeah. I couldn't have experienced that without the mind. And then, but the cool thing was, there was a reason why I had this experience is because afterwards I was so grateful and just in complete bliss of just existing. It, it was like a whole, it was like a, it, it, it shot me into a psychedelic trip. I literally felt like I was melting into like pure love. And then it was so incredibly blissful and peaceful, but it was so overwhelming. I was like, whoa, I hope I like, I hope this isn't forever. Like I want to get out of this too. Right. <laughs> so okay. Um, yeah, go ahead and try it. Uh, guys, just, just try it. Just, you know, suffer. And then when the suffering is released, shoot yourself into some uh, orgasmic bliss and tell me that the suffering was worth it. So we could try this. Turn on your stovetop. You know, one eye will do. Get it until it's fired nice and red. And then rest your palm on that uh, red glowing stovetop for, oh, let's give it 10 seconds. Now then, when you remove your hand from the stovetop, Tell me about that orgasmic bliss. It's like, it's like the universe is designed absolutely perfectly because of course yeah. if there's this all powerful being that's creating all of this. It would create nothing except absolute perfection. Right. Yeah. And it's just, we have to realize why it's perfection, you know? Yeah. Right. So by definition, God is perfect and everything he creates is profession by definition. All right. That's and you have just lost all skeptical thinking people as you say that. You're just defining perfection into existence. You're defining God as perfection. Um we, we just have to accept that uh as as written. And then once we accept that, then we can accept that everything that happens in the universe is also perfect. And then you just have to figure out how it's perfect. Oh, yeah. That's, get the right perspective. That's so good, man. That's another thing Christians will say that always drove me crazy was God is perfect. God is perfect. I'm like, that means God's incapable of making imperfection. Right. If God can even make imperfection, God isn't perfect. So we say God's perfect, but you're a piece of shit. <laughs> It's like, it, it's such a contradiction that I think people like you and me and, and so many millions of others grew up, grew up with this um, dogma. And even if we can't intellectually or conceptually explain why it doesn't make sense, the, your heart just rejects it because it doesn't align with truth. And at the end of the day, truth is resolute. Truth is immovable and it will always stand on its own two feet. And that which is not true is flimsy and will eventually fall over. And that's why Christians protect their doctrines with such haste and intensity, because deep down, they know it's a house of cards. And I can say this because I was in that place once. I was afraid to talk to atheists about hell and the Bible being inerrant because I knew they had better arguments and I couldn't come up with one that made as good a sense as they did. So I would avoid it. It's because our heart knows the truth. The truth is always speaking inside of us. 
And it's, it, it's a gentle whisper. It doesn't force itself on anyone, which is another aspect of the perfection of all things is it's, it's free will honoring. Oh, okay. Um, before we get back on the crazy train, uh, I just want to say, yeah, I agree with a lot of that part. Uh, yeah, an all-perfect God cannot then make something that's not perfect, especially if he, part of his perfect attribution is he is a creator. <laughs> He's a creator God. Uh, so he he can't be perfect, but a lousy creator. So um, that is a problem, but you don't solve that problem by just saying, oh, and therefore humans must be perfect as there are, as they are. I think you have to go back to the supposition that God is perfect in the first place. How did we, how exactly uh, did we establish that? So another way out of suffering is to acknowledge the fact that I am suffering on my own hands, not on purpose. No one would do that on purpose, but out of my own ignorance to what reality really is like, I'm projecting false ideas onto reality, including myself. I am this body. I'm this dream character. Those are the reasons I'm suffering, not reality. Reality is not hurting me. I'm hurting myself by misperceiving reality. Yeah, uh, never mind. Exactly. I love it, man. I'm going to have to bring this up because I just did a video on free will and I got to clarify this because it's such a it's such a complicated topic, right? Because yeah. it, it completely depends on what perspective you look at it from, right? Because within, yeah. the sto- within the story that we created, of course, there's this sense of free will, right? But of course, I, I'm sure you would agree that our, our higher selves as this infinite mind of God is actually kind of creating this this whole story. So in a sense, like, yeah, man. I mean, what do you have to think, or what do you have to say about? It? Is it like, is it one part of us that has free will and one part of us doesn't? Is there like a difference between the body mind having free will and then the you know God having free will, or how is it? How exactly? What's your perspective on that? I'm curious. Yeah, the, the free will topic is um, it's really fun to talk about, and um, I have my own you know conclusions on it. But it's also one of those things. It's like a snake eating its own tail, right? Because whatever perspective you take, the other one's true and that one's false. Exactly. So the way I like to explain it is that there is no free will for a person. Right. And this should be really obvious, right? Right. It's like, okay, what does free will mean to you? It means I have the ability to be uninfluenced in my decisions and do precisely what I want to do, uninfluenced, right? There is none of that. You are a product of your environment. Your environment is moving you and puppeteering you at all given times. And you're not really thinking about it or aware of it, but like even your own body, like how many times have you been starving, hungry at a very inconvenient moment, or you have to go to the bathroom at a very inconvenient moment. Was that your free will to want to go to the bathroom in that moment? Right. (laughs) No. And then you had to go to the bathroom. Maybe you missed out on some cool opportunity that happened while you were gone. The person doesn't have free will. The person is, is the environment. It's a product of the environment. The two are one. Okay. Uh, before he goes any for, uh, further and says something absolutely crazy, I just want to say, I agree with him on this. I am an, I'm a determinist. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not interested in the fact that you have the perception that you are undetermined. Your, your perception is, is incorrect about a lot of things. <laughs> So again, sorry. 
so I'm I'm going to side with the nut job on uh, determinism. I I just thought I'd say that before it got too far into something that I couldn't agree with. So you might say, oh, I have some relative free will within that tiny framework of, okay, I have to have a body. I have to be in this location of this space and time. I have to be obedient to the needs of the body. I have to be uh, in the right temperature and atmosphere of the environment or I die, you know, within this really tiny, narrow framework. Sure. You have some free will, but really, can we call that free will? No. When we zoom out and look at the galaxy rotating and you're just like a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck of that, you can't honestly say, yeah, that speck on the speck has free will. doesn't right. make any sense. But from the ultimate point of view, if I am that one being, that one mind dreaming all of this, well, then I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I wanted to have this experience of limitation and finiteness and impermanence and all of that. God is dreaming what it's not like so it can have an idea of what it is like to the point of without left, there's no right. There has to be contrast for anything to be experienced. So for me, the more that I meditate on myself as that I am, I am that, then whatever happens in the flow of life, it's just so easy to accept it because you recognize I am the dreamer. I'm not the dream character. The dream character is a part of the story and is the story. The story is here to show me something about who I am, to teach me something, to awaken me to my reality. And so this dream that I call life is always bringing me what I need to wake up to that truth. So if something challenging happens, instead of you being identified as this body, this person, wow, this isn't my perfect situation, boo-hoo, poor me. You stop reacting to life that way. And instead you're like, whoa, this is a challenging situation. I wonder what the lesson is. And that's where freedom is because it's really just resistance to, to reality that causes pain. And as soon as we accept reality, even if we might have something very challenging and difficult, we can move through those things without suffering because we are aware this is impermanent. This is momentary. It's much easier to just discard it and let it happen than to engage with it and do battle with it, right? That's what ego wants, and that's what creates suffering. I love it, dude. Yeah, I love it. One exercise that I give people just to show them that the person is not in control, it's so simple. I mean, just sit there and don't have a thought for 30 seconds, mm -hmm. right? Like, you, it can't happen, right? And the thoughts are really the foundation of all of our subjective reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, our thoughts yeah. create our reality, right? And so if you can't even control your thoughts, how in the world do you have free will like in anything as a person, right? <laughs> but then again, it, it sucks because people will get the wrong idea. They don't realize that this is perfection. They don't realize that they don't want free will because free will comes with imperfection. Free will uh, on the level of the person, right? On the level of the person, we are imperfect. So that would come with imperfection. That would come with regret, all, all this stuff. And it doesn't, it shouldn't be an excuse to not be proactive, right? And, you know, create your own reality. It's just when things aren't going your way, realize that this is how you actually designed it to be and, and surrender to it. Right. So yes. yeah, that's my, that's my. When things aren't going your way, this is how you designed it to be. Take on it. Um, and yeah, it, it sucks because people, they don't know what they want. You know, they don't know what is actual. Right. You don't even know what you want because you it's just like, know what you think you want. Exactly. <laughs> but, but the, the, longer you go on this path, the more the, the preferences of the small self and the preferences of the, of the big self kind of start aligning, you know, until it's just <laughs> that duality collapses. Right. Yeah. But yeah, man, um, I love this dude. So 
<laughs> we kind of we kind of got off uh, Jesus teachings, but I love yeah, it. Like, we this, did a little this, bit. <laughs> this is such great stuff. One thing that I want to talk about is every single Christian puts Jesus on this pedestal, and of course, I mean, I look up to Jesus. Of course, I mean, he was this enlightened being. He spread so much good to the world, and I mean, I wouldn't be here, what like living this life that I am, if it weren't for him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge effect on the world, but. I believe that like Christians will put him on too high of a pedestal. And I was wondering if there was like anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said that he was somehow like more divine than anyone else. He definitely never said I'm, I'm more divine than anyone else or, or exclaimed uh, claimed exclusivity, but he was constantly making these oneness claims, which those people again could only. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, uh, comes to the father except by me interpret as oh he's making some exclusive claim to himself but even if i am the way the truth okay you guys get it as time went on i think you know the the essenes the gnostics even paul the apostle um, mystics like him they understood the place the state jesus was in and was speaking from and i mean jesus would also make it clear which would confuse the hell out of people when he would say like, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. Like, but I thought you were God. It's like, he was aware of this dualistic perception and they weren't. They had no clue that they were seeing through duality. He, he didn't have a concept of separation. And so when they were, when he could tell that they were like, Oh, human body, Jesus, you're such a, you're like a demigod in front of us. He would be aware of that and go, Hey, stop that. Don't worship me. He would even say, don't even tell people I did this miracle. Don't mention me. Um, because he was like casting off the, the limelight from his person, personal persona. He was trying to direct the attention to God. It is, um, it is the father indwelling within me doing his own work. I don't speak of my own accord. So those things are difficult for people to grasp. But when he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I and the father are one, it sounds to people who are living in duality like he's making an exclusive claim. But then he has all these other verses where he's clearly he's clearly stating this is this is available to everyone. Right. I love it. You know, so so many people get confused because there seems to be these little contradictions in the Bible that aren't actually contradictions. Right. Because Jesus will refer to himself in seemingly contradictory ways. What people don't realize is that Jesus was aware of this dualistic nature. And so sometimes he referred to himself as as the body mind. Right. But other times he was talking about himself as the big self as god right right so that's yeah that's something where people think it's contradictory but yeah it's really not it's just you have to understand duality and non-duality i guess to really get it so jesus was fleshy human jesus was god because god is pan and thus all is god and jesus was Suffering from psychopathy, or uh, he had split personality, speaking from this duality, contradicting himself. I, oh, yeah, no, I'm backing, I'm backing away from that. Yeah, and a lot of it's like a concession to the people listening, like right. he's trying to meet them at their level. Right. If he knows that they're talking about him, the person, then he'll switch the way he's speaking a bit to say, okay, yeah, sure. As this idea that I, this person, Jesus exists. Okay. It's not psychopathy. Then it's schizophrenia. 
Okay. Which in his mind, he didn't. Um, I'll, I'll humor you and, and talk with you like this. But like, you know, in, in the first um, Mystical Jesus episode I made, I, I made this statement that like, when Jesus is telling people, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him first die to himself, that, that carnal nature, right? Get rid of that idea that you, the separate self, exist. Well, he wouldn't make that a requirement to be his disciple if he hadn't done that himself. So he was saying, this is the state that I'm in. I don't have a concept of a separate me who can worship God or even serve God. So like, if you want to be my disciple, just know like, that's what you're going to have to do too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think people get confused because they, they think that they're going to look at some language and see truth. Right. So that's why they're like, Bible is truth, but they don't realize it can be interpreted in many different ways. And what they really don't realize is that the truth, right? God is beyond language. And so <laughs> language is actually just arising within God. And so right. language cannot be truth. It has to point to truth, right? And so this is what Jesus was trying to do. You can't just say stuff and it be truth. He's trying to work with the people he's talking to, to make them see something within, right? To point to something, right? And so yeah. the, the Buddha would actually do this too, right? So if there's a certain duality, um, so, so say like someone asked the Buddha, like, does heaven exist, right? I, I don't know if he actually... Yeah, I said this like word for word, but someone asked the Buddha, like, does heaven exist? And if someone was adamant, adamantly believing in heaven, he would go, no. But if someone was, um, so if someone was adamantly, yeah, believing, yeah. he would go, no. But if they weren't, if they were like, heaven does, does, does exist, he'd be like, yes, it does exist. See, it's getting yeah. them out of the duality and kind of getting them over to the other so they can see both sides of the same coin and then kind of go into this non-dual state. Is that How, what is, does any, can someone explain that? Heaven exists. Heaven doesn't ex exist. Um, you've got to you've got to speak in duality. So uh, I'm here doing this podcast. I'm not here doing this podcast. Yes, I stole that valuable painting. No, I didn't steal that valuable painting. You know, if we can fix our minds so that oxymoronic statements seem true to us, then we can be Jesus' disciples. Makes sense. So that's kind of what Jesus. Yes. That's kind of what Jesus is doing, right? He's trying oh, yeah. to reach them at their level, and it might seem contradictory because the world is contradictory. I mean, the world is a, a giant paradox. You know what I mean? And people <laughs> are just uncomfortable with it, right? Because yeah. that's that's what it must be. But it's just you have to go from one side of the paradox to the other, and then kind of wrestle with it, and then all of a sudden go into this non-dual state. And it's an incredibly difficult process, and that's why Jesus kind of had to have these little contradictions, depending on who he talked to, to kind of meet them at their level and, and have the best chance of them seeing what he's trying to point to. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's, that's also what um, like guru figures will often do that there'll be seeming contradictions in the language they'll use or whatever. And that's because each person they're talking to is, is in a di totally different state of awareness. And so also the guru is not going to violate someone's free will who has really rigid, you know, perceptions of something, they work within that framework to get them to question. So they'll do, they'll do stuff to confuse them or offer a paradox that makes them go, what? And the idea is they're trying to get them out of any kind of point of view. Like whether you think heaven does exist, you're wrong. Whether you think it doesn't, you're also wrong. Right. And the truth is actually non-dual. It's yeah. beyond wrong or true. Right. Exactly. It's like the truth 
is beyond non-dual. It's neither wrong nor true. You ask a guru, this is a better one, right? I don't know if they really talk, Buddhists don't really talk about like heaven, I guess, but it's, it's more yeah, like, yeah. is this reality real or is it unreal? Well, the true answer is it's both and neither, right? Yes. You, you, can't, you can't say it's real or un- when you really know what it is, those words both just don't describe it well, right? It is yes. both and neither, right? And when, and, you, and when you go beyond that altogether, like to a truly enlightened person, like those, those concepts don't even have meaning anyways. Like they lose, they don't map onto reality. Reality is silent. Reality can't be put into words. So it's like, um, it's, it's like trying to drink the ocean through a fork or something. Yeah. It's like, it, that doesn't even make sense to the enlightened mind, but, but in duality it does. And so it's okay to use words and language to point as long as we know we're using these loosely. And, and obviously Jesus did this and he, he would even say things like the passage where um, he says, if you make the two one, if you make the eye single, your body will be full of light. Um, in the gospel of Thomas, he goes in this long rant and he's like, when you make male and female one so that there's no more male and no more female, when you make the hand and the foot one, so there's no hand and no foot, when you make up and down one, he goes on and on. He says, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's really trying to make it obvious that he's pointing to the fact that like the reality of God is beyond concepts altogether. Right. And that's one thing that I really try and point out when I'm teaching this stuff is that like, whatever I teach, it's not it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like whatever I'm saying, don't believe that. Like if you believe that it's just another religion, right? Like take it as motivation to find it yourself. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Use it as a, as a tool to dig with or something, but don't, don't worship the tool. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So the last thing I really want to talk about is I guess a lot of people are going to get tripped up. And I'm curious what you, what you really think about this is that, you know, in the Bible, Jesus seemed to do some pretty divine stuff, right? He was like a healer. And also apparently he rose from the dead, right? How, how exactly do you approach those verses in the Bible from this like dualistic or non-dual teaching? Well, I have no problem with any of the, the miracles Jesus does in the, in the New Testament, any of the healings and stuff. Because, again, I, I grew up uh, in a church where we saw miracles all the time, physical healing all the time. You know, Joe Dispenza does this stuff now. Like, it's not, right. it's not like novel that people can get healed physically through energy work and stuff. And I've, you know, I've healed many, many people of... I'm sorry, what is energy work? Is it like sex work that's really enthusiastic? because there could be some healing there of illnesses and stuff. As I grew up in church to know that this is totally possible. And it's not me who does it. I just have to make myself a vessel for that divine energy to flow through. And if the intentions line up and free will isn't being violated, it will flow through and the healing will happen. So that stuff to me is easy. Um, Even like multiplying bread and stuff. I've, I've actually seen that something like that happen at a church, although it was, um, it was like barbecue ribs that were being served at this huge potluck in uh, Bethel and Reading. And they had like, like almost 50% extra um, uh, vats of these ribs to serve people. They literally did the exact same miracle that Jesus does in, in Matthew five. Okay. Um, so 
mainstream Christians do this kind of same thing. Oh yeah, I've I've seen this miracle here. Documentation at all? No. No. Did this happen during the time of smartphones? Yes, but nobody had any out at the time. Uh, did anyone do a documentary on this? Oh, no. Did anyone tell the press about this? No, no. But I, I saw it. I was there. I, no, really. I was there, man. I saw it. I've seen a lot of that stuff. But when it comes to the resurrection, that's where it gets a little more nuanced for me because I can also accept that that may have, may have actually happened. I don't, um, I don't get too rationalistic about anything because I just know right. hey, reality is way beyond my understanding. Let me not. I don't get too rationalistic about anything just throw those <laughs> on the list of hot quotes he's so arrogant as to think that i know that definitely never happens right it most likely didn't happen and there's a good chance it probably didn't happen but it also could have happened and there's you know even in the law of one there's ways you could actually explain almost from like a scientific energy standpoint how that could happen stop scientific energy standpoint Nope, can't let you get away with that. But what he's what he's really saying is, well, you know, we don't understand everything about the universe, so anything could happen. Anything could happen. Well, that's someone who doesn't understand physics, <laughs> because anything can't happen, folks. But if if you condition your mind in such a way where you believe that, well, anything can happen, then you can be convinced of anything at all. But I also see that there would have been a need for the disciples of Jesus to um, make him into this, make him fit into the Messiah role that the Jews were expecting. And we see a lot of attempts of that in the biblical language of like, you know, first of all, the Jews were saying these people are worshiping a false God, this guy, Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah because he didn't do all this shit the Old Testament says he'll do. So when you read the, the book of Matthew and Luke and John, that's why you often see, um, you know, Jesus rides in on a donkey and he'll say, uh, this was to fulfill the scripture that says he comes riding on, on a donkey or whatever. They're, they're always saying this was to fulfill the scripture that says this was to fulfill the scripture because they were trying to put him in that role to prove to the Jews. No, we're not heretics. This guy really did meet all the requirements and then some. And if you want to talk to us about it, we can explain it to you. So I think the resurrection could very likely be that attempt that um, they're trying to make him into an undeniable Messiah figure. And that's not like they weren't trying to be purposefully deceptive. Um, I think probably most of them believed it actually did happen. I think whoever wrote that, who knew it maybe didn't happen, probably had the best of intentions trying to spread this new gospel. So, but, you know, as time goes on, it just becomes a fact and it's like, well, you know, let's be open to questioning that narrative because there's things like it says he floats up into the sky and disappears. And, of course, now we know that heaven's not up and there is no up. So, like, Jesus would have just floated up into the asteroid belt and then beyond. And, like, he's just going to float forever. Like, he couldn't have gone anywhere, right? So there's some right. rational things to consider there, too. Yeah, I love it, dude. So it's interesting. So when I had my first, like, hardcore awakening experiences like six months ago and I really started kind of putting all this together at the start I didn't understand the whole healing thing right I do now because I've actually worked with energy and been able to feel it like and I was like whoa 
like this stuff could actually work. I, I saw Eastern practitioners actually on YouTube, you know, sh- shooting chi energy through their hand and actually like, you know, passing energy, electrical energy to other people and healing them. Like, okay. So these things have been proven to be frauds. They've been debunked many, 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 many times. Look it up yourself. And, um, you know, the people who want to believe in God miracles or chi miracles or Eastern uh, miracles, whatever kind, they there's a certain gullibility that they have to have or they have to be willing to take on to buy into the notion that anything is possible. I mean, him citing that he's he's seen these types of things on YouTube, I have too, by the way, is a little bit like citing, yeah, I saw a man on the street corner lengthen another person's leg. C- come on. There are people that do that. So that's like a real thing, right? And yeah. so now looking at it, I'm like, whoa, Jesus actually just could have like harnessed his chi energy. You know what I mean? Um, like that could be a real thing. But um, at, the, at the time, I was just thinking, well, maybe just through his unconditional love, you know, promise of this heaven, just his his kind of the mental energy that's pinging off of him, you know, that decreases people's cortisol so much. I mean, that improves their health and that could heal as well. Right. And I, I, you know, I used to think that way I'm leaning more towards the actual like healing, like real healing now. Um, and because I'm just realizing that reality is so much more profound and complex and just unexplainable than I could ever imagine. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, so with the resurrection, I'm like open, like who knows, dude, the reality is so crazy. It could have happened, but Okay, this once again is someone speaking uh, with pretty much no knowledge of science or physics uh, at any level. Because once again, anything can't happen. It's it's not, and at at this given moment, any of a billion possibilities could happen. That's not true. And he's speaking as if the macro world where we live, the the, the universe of big things, is um, as fungible as the micro world of quantum effects. You're not going to experience quantum effects at this size. The world is not so unpredictable that well, we just have no idea. We have no idea. Maybe I will be uh, sitting here in this chair in front of this microphone this moment. And the next moment, I will just materialize on Mars. That's <laughs> okay. Um, in in a universe where everything has quantum effects, maybe anything is possible. I don't know. But not in the world that we live in. So when you hear people talk like this. You have to understand that they have made, in many cases, a conscious decision to trade uh, hard-earned scientific knowledge for woo. Actually, have a I, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a fairly good explanation, and I think it's exactly what you're saying, right? I think that Jesus, he and his disciples, they knew this incredible. Truth. I'm not sure if all disciples got it, but of course Jesus did, right? Jesus Mm -hmm. knew this incredible truth and he realized 
that if everyone knew this truth, they would, I mean, the world would, I mean, think about it, dude. Like if the entire world knew this truth, it would be some sort of actual like physical heaven, right? And Jesus knew this. So I think that he was determined to spread this like in any way possible. And for people to really believe his teachings, I think he had to pull off some sort of crazy stunt in order to gain credibility, right? Well, it didn't work because the people of his time didn't believe him. They didn't believe him before he was crucified. They didn't believe him after he was crucified. They didn't believe his disciples. They chased them away, uh, tormented them, persecuted them. Now, (laughs) rumors of persecution, uh, as we learned from scholars since, have been greatly exaggerated. They were, frankly, too insignificant (laughs) to persecute most of the time. Um, it took a very long time before Christianity caught on. And I don't think it was any of the stuff that these guys are talking about that made it catch on because if it was, it would have caught on a lot sooner and a lot bigger, uh, than it actually did. So, you know, if what Jesus was trying to do was establish himself as someone who had this great knowledge of how the universe works and how you can unlock it for your own success, uh, we would have seen a different result. Even today, Christianity has not taken over the majority of the people on earth. It's about a third. It's about a third, which means that there are two-thirds of the people, even now, even after all this time, who look at the claims of Christianity and say, yeah, right. And again, it's like people see this as like deceptive. Well, no, 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 no. Like, are you kidding me? If I, if I knew what was possible a year ago when I was like asleep, right? I would let, I would be tortured, right? To be able to experience this. You know what I mean? Like I would go through anything. And so to go through like a little deception for the better good, that's like, like nothing to me. Like, of course, like go for it. It's like, you know, what if there, there are two little platforms, right? And one platform sends you into like, I don't know, a five foot hole, the other platform you just walk past and you know what platform sends you into that hole, right? And your friend asks you, Hey, which platform should I cross? Please don't send me into the hole. But you also know that in that hole is a million dollars that that person gets. If he falls into the hole, it's not even a big deal. It's just five foot. Like he doesn't even like, it's just a a tiny bit scary for a moment. And then he doesn't even have any injuries. Of course, you're going to lie and say, no, this is the right path. Go over this one. He's going to fall into the hole, get a million dollars and be like, thank you. Thank you so much for that slight deception because that improved my life so much. Right. So I don't have any problem with Jesus pulling off a stunt like that. And I actually think if you dissect the gospel, there's a lot of evidence for that. Right. Okay. Uh, Let me just pause right there for a moment. it's hard to understand what he's envisioning. I mean, um, sure, uh, he believes in righteous lying, pious lies that manipulate people into doing a thing that you think is good for them. But at the end of the day, you think it's good for them and you are manipulating them with lies to do it. That's, that's still wrong. It's not better. You know what a better way would be? If what you want is for people to have the million dollars, 
you could tell them of these two holes. Um, it, look, this hole, you're going to fall in. It might hurt a little bit. It's only five foot uh, deep. Uh, you know, at, at best, you're going to get a sprained ankle. However, at the bottom of that hole is a, is a million dollars. You could just give the people all of the information they need to make a, an informed decision. And they might decide, yeah, no, I was rich once upon a time. And if I got that million dollars, I know exactly what I would do. And it's not, it's not a good thing. So uh, actually I'll take the other hole. Uh, you know, give people an informed decision and let them decide, but lying to them to manipulate them, to do something that you think is good for them, is is not good. And if that's what God is doing, God is evil. For this kind of like trickery that that he pulled off. Um, like for example, how many hours did it take for him to die on the cross? Like six hours or something like that, right? I don't know. Does the, the Bible doesn't say exactly how long, right? It, it, it's it's close. It just sort I think, of says like, I think it estimates. The time of day or something. Yeah. Right. And it's estimated that it's around six hours. But the thing is, is like yeah. sometimes it took literally like a week for people to die of, um, of crucifixion when when the people told Pontius Pilate that Jesus had died, Pontius Pilate was actually like surprised. Like in the Bible, he was surprised that Jesus had like died so early. Right. Um, and really the only people that checked that Jesus was dead were one, the centurion, right. That was like the soldier that was guarding Jesus. And he was a believer in the Bible. It said that like, he was a complete believer of Jesus. So when Jesus on the cross said that he died, I mean, I don't know, of course, maybe the centurion just believed him, or maybe the centurion was in on it. You don't know how many people were in on it, but then guess what? Like Pontius Pilate never checked if Jesus had died. And guess where Jesus went? Guess who Jesus was given to? Jesus was given to Joseph of Arimathea, which yeah. was his friend, right? And took taken to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I think there's a lot of evidence where it, it could have been just this trick for the better good you know, and that's hard for some people to reconcile if they don't see the bigger picture, right? But either yeah. way, right? Either way, I mean, and of course, it's like some Christians, they're afraid to admit that or even look from that perspective because they want Jesus to be this divine person. But no, 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 they don't at all. They don't want Jesus to be this divine person because when Jesus, <laughs> if Jesus did all this and had this incredible mindset as just a normal person, that means you can have that too. Right. right. So you don't want Jesus to be more divine than you. It's just so it's like the dogmatic Christians don't realize what they actually want. Like they want to interpret it this way. This because, of course, this is the only way that actually brings true liberation and, and, and peace is when you actually experience this. Right. Yes. Uh, so can I offer a third explanation? Oh, of course. One hundred percent. I'm open like I'm open to it. Uh, of course. So another explanation I've toyed with is the idea that. It's, it's a phenomenon that has been written about many, you know, sages and gurus who pass away that they will like reappear um, mm. sometimes in like an energy body or an astral body, or they'll just uh. sort of materialize. And in uh, autobiography of a yogi, uh, Yogananda. I'm sorry. What is an energy body? What is an astra body? I mean, putting these words in front of body doesn't actually change anything. You do know that E equals MC squared tells us that all bodies are energy bodies, right? 
Buddha says that his guru appeared to him, uh, Yukteswar appeared to him and they had like a conversation like in physical form. And so, you know, the idea would be that these um, beings have the ability to reappear in their astral form if they know it's not going to screw with the free will of the person, right? If, if this person already believes this is possible and that we're eternal and all that stuff, then it wouldn't be a violation. Um, so sometimes that happens apparently. So it's very possible that Christ reappeared to his disciples. And then out of those stories of, oh, the master appeared to us, gets told, oh, he, he resurrected from the dead and all that stuff. It fits right into what they would have wanted to happen. I think Jesus probably didn't resurrect just because his whole point was go beyond the body. You're not this body. You're not this person. The body's not the point. And the idea of the resurrection is a very Jewish belief in the resurrection, right? Like the Jews believe. Like the body is the ultimate symbol of what you are. And so the, if the body de- is dead, you're dead. And I don't think Jesus would have wanted to reinforce that by resurrecting just for what? For who? Ah, you couldn't kill me, bastards. Like that's not a Jesus thing. But if he reappeared, that makes sense that that narrative gets told. And what happens in the Gospel of Luke? In the Gospel of Luke, two of the disciples are walking down a path and a mysterious man appears and walks with them and says, he did our hearts not burn when we were with him? He told us all the things we've ever done. And then he vanishes before their eyes and they go, it was the master. It was the, it was Jesus. But it says they didn't recognize him. It says the same for Mary. Mary sees him in the garden on the day of the resurrection, thinks he was a gardener, didn't recognize him. Huh? So that's really strange, isn't it? It's like, if people are making this shit up, why would they all say they didn't recognize him? You don't feel like that'd be something they would make up if they didn't even have a concept of what an astral body is and stuff. So if someone reappears in their astral form, one, they can look like whatever they want. Two, an energy body probably looks very different than like a normal body does. Okay, wait a minute. You keep talking about astral bodies and you're just, it sounds like he's just making up rules for them. You can appear as anything you want because, you know, that's an obvious known rule of astral bodies. Where did you get the handbook? And you have these passages where Jesus walks through the wall and appears to them. You know, Thomas, doubting Thomas, looks at his hands and says, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. So my theory is actually that I think Jesus is, I think Jesus reappeared in his his spirit or his energy body to his disciples, or maybe even just one of them had a, a vision or an experience or an encounter with him, told the story to everyone else. And then it just kind of trickled into this resurrection story. Wow. I love it, dude. And again, it's like a year ago, I I could have never, I could understand the more rationalistic perspective, but not that perspective. But now I totally can because I've done stuff like astral project. I I realized that, I mean, really part of it is you kind of realize that it only makes sense to have some sort of subtle body that will like. I mean, if you're speaking to an audience that is, gullible or already believes in this stuff i guess it's no big deal to say yeah i've astral projected yeah i do that every tuesday but this sounds just like lunacy to someone who has not already drink drank the kool-aid however you can convince me that you can astral project anyone could that seems like a very falsifiable thing so Go ahead and do it in front of the camera. Reporters, scientists, they'll show up. I promise.
carry on with you throughout like lifetimes. Right. Right. So I I think that's probably a a better explanation. It's just, it's tough because people that aren't at that level, like this is why it's like, you need to tell these stories in kind of levels because it's much easier for a very rationalistic person to believe the first. Right. But then of course, when they get to that level and believe that, then they can go to the next one. It's even better. And then it's even like more profound and more believable. right? Right. And so it's, it, it's tough, you know, cause on the other hand, just to appeal to the more rational, rationalistic perspective, um, sometimes like divinity was, you know, it, it was so much more believed in back then. And mm-hmm. people would tell different accounts of the same experience, but with different levels of divinity, right? So when Jesus, you know, he was missing from the tomb, I believe, I, I can't tell you who it was, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of them described the angel as like an angel, right? And then one of them described him as a man. And then another described it as like two, two men, right? Right. And so, and so you'll see like different people will describe the same event at varying levels of divinity, right? Yeah. And, and so there could be like a rational explanation for all these divine <clears throat> acts, right? But on the other hand, now, I, I'm more leaning towards the point of it actually being some sort of more mystical event. Just listening to stories of like, like the East, like Yogananda. I mean, that book is really hard to deny. There are all these mystical things, yogis materializing things and, and like the master reappearing to him. And I mean, knowing what I know now about how reality works and about our true nature, it only makes sense that when you get to a certain level of consciousness, that you are able to pull off incredible things like that right? Because yes. you know yourself even more. And essentially, that's kind of what I believe reality is, is that we're actually kind of, it's not only realizing God at the metaphysical level, but we're actually being able to like become God and kind of manipulate reality, manipulates like, like, a, like in a good way, like manip- right. manipulate reality, right. like, like more and more, you know what I mean? That's why people start having like psychic abilities, right? They start. Oh, yeah. And because that's what I think this progression is, is like, it's this, it's, the universe is such an incredibly perfect design. And that's, that's what's happening. It's like, you are God gaining your powers, right? Yes. And so, yeah. That's, that's why the matrix was such a powerful movie to our culture, because you know, the whole, there, there is no spoon line like that actually speaks perfectly to the way that reality works. It's like you, you can, your ability to manipulate, manipulate reality through the powers of consciousness is really directly dependent on your awareness of the unreality of it. Like right. if you, if you take it to be real, it's just like a lucid dream. It's exactly like a lucid dream. This is as much a dream as your dreams at night. It's just a denser, slower, heavier dream. Right. And so how do you become lucid in a dream and manipulate the dream? It's only by realizing that the dream isn't real. And that I am not even this character at all. I'm the dream mind. And once you know yourself as the dream mind, you can start to change the reality of the dream. You can materialize things. You can change and alter things. And it works exactly that way here. But as difficult as it is to become lucid in a dream at night, it's that much more difficult to become lucid in this dense, slow, heavy dream we call life. And these these gurus and these sages have achieved such a level of God realization like Christ did that they know it's absolutely unreal. It's just appearing in, in consciousness. And so it's almost like the, the non-attachment to needing it to happen is actually the power that makes it happen. 
Like, I don't need to heal this person to prove anything. I just understand their disease isn't real. And I'm willing to transmit that state to them if they're willing to receive it. And if they are, then boom, the cancer dematerializes and we go, whoa, it's a miracle. It's like, yeah, from the dualistic perspective, but really it's just It's just the way reality works. Yeah. I love it, man. Like I'm excited. I, Cause it's like, okay. It's just the way reality works. This is someone who doesn't want to do the hard work of actual science and they want to trade it for something else. We could talk about why a person might want to do that. Um, this is almost over. So if I remember or feel inclined, I'll, I'll talk about it then. Um, so I think the key question goes beyond what this type of person believes and why it, it goes to why they believe it and why they want to believe it. Because this, this seems like the type of thing that you need to want to believe. And I think that there are uh, good reasons for it. I'm going to do a podcast uh, over on Red Letters, uh, and uh, I'll have some guests, and we'll talk about this very subject. So it's it's kind of on my mind. So let's let's uh, close this out, and uh, we'll get back to a few thoughts. Once you realize this, oh my gosh! You, you know, the one thing is like everyone like stay in the present moment, stay in the present moment, stay in the present moment. That's good because that's where you realize the truth. But then when you do, it's like, yo, the future's got to get pretty good because if you're just raising your consciousness, right? Like, whoa, like think of what's possible. You know what I mean? And even though the future doesn't actually exist, it's just a concept in the present moment anyway. It's still a cool concept to me now, right? It used to like, the future used to see, seem like this like restriction, like I should stay away from it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. It'll bring you suffering. And now it's like, oh dude, it's going to get so sick. Like I can't wait to keep practicing my consciousness work and then yeah it could i don't know it could get really fun man so i'm, I'm kind that's, of excited that's it. like the farthest you can take it right is like you can get really excited about it because you know that you're just deepening this awareness and it's it's the present moment it's going to just keep getting better as you keep expanding but it's like that's as far as you can even go because to even try to predict or analyze what's going to happen is so futile that your mind right. doesn't go there so even even the joy of knowing the future is bright is also a present experience for you. Right. You're not being lost in the future daydream or something. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's just a fine line, but yeah, it, I, it's not like, it's good for the average person to really just harp on the present moment. But then you realize that even all these concepts and thoughts are just part of the present moment and they're all what make the present moment incredible. You know, yeah. there's, there's nothing. It's like, if you're resistant to anything at all, and you don't completely appreciate the perfection of literally every single minutia of reality, then there's, you know, there's, there's still work to do, right? There's a lot of work to do. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So yeah. I mean, there always is, there's still work to do no matter what, but it's like, yeah, it, regardless. Um, so yeah, man, I, uh, I think that's a, a good place to end on. Um, I really appreciate the combo, man. It's good to finally get to talk Likewise, with you. Man. Okay, and I also think that's a good place to end on, as promised. Uh, here's just a little preview of some of my thoughts. I think that uh, there is an existential fear, an angst, even a crisis in some people that they just don't understand how the world works. It seems so mysterious, so out of reach, and they feel so out of control. 
they they have they don't have the tools to learn how the universe works. It just seems too massive, and so rather than going through the hard work, they throw up their hands. Excuse me, they throw up their hands and they just give up. And they say things like, well, anything's possible. There's there's no way we can know. There's so many possibilities, you know, and they're just in awe at all of the possibilities that could happen. And it's a great unknown and a mystery. Um, that's one of the ways they cope. Another way that they cope is to invent fantasy ways that the universe works. And they convince themselves of that. So you don't have to spend... 15 years learning physics, you can just make up some some terms like uh, astro projection, astro realism, um, energy work. Uh, you can you can say things like that as if you have tapped into some great truth about the universe, but you're just pretending. The fact is, you have no idea. You have no idea because you didn't do the hard work or you couldn't do the hard work. Uh, you, you were just overwhelmed by it all and you felt like you were tossed to and fro by life and you had no control. And so you invented these controls or more likely you glommed onto other people who had invented these controls, these uh, ideas and concepts that, that make you feel like you have learned something about the universe when you really haven't. It's a little bit like playing air guitar. You know what I mean. You you just uh, put your hands in a certain way and you pretend to play a guitar as you listen along with your favorite uh, heavy metal guitarist. And you know why you pretend to play the guitar? Because learning the guitar is fucking hard. It, there's a there's a lot of work that goes into it. By the way, I'm uh, I'm still progressing uh, in that. But yeah, we we play pretend guitar when we can't actually play guitar. Now the difference is most people don't uh, then say to their friends, "Oh yeah, I know how to play guitar." You know, they're not convinced that they know how to play guitar that they're just doing the closest thing they can by playing air guitar, <laughs> which is not playing anything at all. In the religious world, though, pretense becomes reality. The, the, all this talk of, you know, strange energies and power is just air guitar for physics. And it gives them comfort. Because they can't, they can't do the real thing, but they have been convinced in a way that our guitar doesn't convince you. They've been convinced that they are doing real work with regard to understanding the universe. And all they're doing is playing air guitar. But you know what? It makes them feel better. It eases their existential crisis of not understanding uh, this this universe that we live in and not feeling like they have no control over what's happening in their lives. And this gives them a sense of that. And maybe that helps them get through the day. But as they are helped to get through the day, they also feel evangelistic enough 
to talk about it in public and try to convince someone else. And there lies uh, the problem with this. There also lies the problem with Christianity. Because honestly, I don't care who is a Christian. I don't, I don't care what you believe. I don't go around asking people what they believe. I don't want to know. Don't care. It It is nothing to me. You know, if, if you want to believe, uh, you know, that Jesus rose from the dead, good for you. Good for you. But that's not actually good enough for this type of person. They need company in the same way that misery loves company. Um, woo loves company. And, and they part of what reinforces their idea that their air guitar is real guitar is when lots of other people come alongside them and agree with them. So I, I think there's a there's definitely an evangelistic um aspect to this sort of thing. And this is where I begin to have the problem with it. You know, keep the keep the crazy inside. Invent whatever crazy you want to invent to help you sleep at night and not commit suicide. Okay, I'm I'm all for it. But when you get evangelistic about it and you uh, want to teach others this great truth you've discovered. Now we've got a problem. We've got a problem right now because I'm over time. And so I'm going to go ahead and cut it off uh, right now. If you're not already subscribed to Red Letters, uh, check it out. Patreon.com slash Red Letters for more information. And exclusively on that channel, we will be doing uh, a panel show. Uh, that'll include some of the usual suspects and at least one uh, person that you may not know uh, who is who is brilliant. We're going to be talking about some of uh, some of these things that you're hearing right now. Uh, now, I-, I will just tell you up front, other people who are on the show will also be using this stuff on their show and it will not be behind a paywall. So if you just want to wait and listen to the discussion, uh, you can. You'll be able to listen to it. Uh, on their channels too, but I can I can tell you right now, no one's going to get it out faster than me. It might be weeks uh, before it shows up somewhere else. Uh, so jump on in, uh, become a member of patreon.com slash red letter and get uh, other great content like this. And uh, as for this week, I think we're done. We'll see you next time.